Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, an animated video agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of video storytelling. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage, or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit ProsperitasAgency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S Agency.com to find out how Prosperitas can create the best videos your company has ever had. My guest today is Antoinette Balta. Antoinette is the executive director and co-founder of the Veterans Legal Institute, or VLI for short, a pro bono law firm that lifts up U.S. military veterans in crisis. She oversees and has responsibility for the overall management of the firm, including business development, outreach, public relations, marketing, strategic planning, and a light legal caseload. She comes to VLI with a long-held passion to serve homeless and at-risk veterans and service members, and has dedicated her career to that end. Since co-founding the Veterans Legal Institute in 2014, over 8,000 local low-income veterans have benefited from free legal services. Antoinette served in the California State Guard for over six years, first as a reserve JAG officer, and then as a marketing officer holding the rank of major, committing to assisting with the rebranding of the California Military Department. She is accredited by the Department of Veterans Affairs and regularly lectures on legal topics affecting veterans, where she is known for providing innovative solutions aimed at veterans' empowerment and self-sufficiency. In the past, Antoinette was a law lecturer at UCI School of Law for its Veterans Law Clinic. Antoinette is a graduate of the 2018 Presidential Leadership Scholars Class, a prestigious program that serves as a catalyst for a diverse network of leaders brought together to collaborate and make a difference in the world as they learn about leadership through the lens of the presidential experiences of George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, and Lyndon B. Johnson. Antoinette is a two-term director at large with the Orange County Bar Association, a member of the Outreach and Pro Bono Committees, and a member of the Orange County Women Lawyers Association. She's also a board advisor for the Black Chamber of Orange County and Integrated Recovery Foundation, a group dedicated to providing housing and mental health services to women survivors of military sexual assault. She is a member of the OC Veterans and Military Families Collaborative, chair of its legal and reentry working group, and for a long period of time served as vice chair of its steering committee. Antoinette also holds a business degree in business administration with an emphasis in marketing and management from Chapman University School of Business, as well as a Juris Doctor with a special certificate in alternative dispute resolution and an LLM emphasized in business and economics from Chapman University Fowler School of Law. 
Thank you so much for joining me today, Antoinette, and welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you today. So take me back a little bit. What first inspired you and led you to go to law school? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So in my family, because my family immigrated here in the 70s, it's not common for um, women to get an education. So my mom was really a strong proponent of me getting any education, but she thought that because of, at a young age, I would love to argue and debate with her and everyone else that I'd make a great attorney. So my mom really inspired me. I knew I wanted to do some sort of public uh, service type of work. And she told me, if you've got a law degree, you could do anything you want and you could help anybody that you want. That's awesome. And where did your family immigrate from? Uh, both my parents immigrated from Lebanon. Oh, wow. It's quite the, quite the culture change, I'd imagine. You know what? It's definitely, growing up, it was a meld of both cultures. I like to think that they really provided me the best of both, but I've definitely got one foot in the United States and one foot back at home in Lebanon where they have a beautiful culture, but definitely not as progressive as I'd like to see them when it comes to women's rights. And so what really drew you to veterans' work in general and helping homeless veterans low income? I think given my background, I'm just extraordinarily grateful for the opportunities provided in the United States. So I've always been incredibly patriotic. Both my parents are very patriotic, and I think we've got that perspective, especially them having come from a, a different country. I and mean, this is just my way of paying it forward, I, especially during OEF, OIF, there was an influx of homeless veterans. And I thought they would be the veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan, but there was an overwhelmingly large amount of Vietnam era and Korea era, and sometimes even World War II era veterans that were struggling economically with their mental health. And I thought it would be really great to fill this void with military specific legal services so that we could not only establish rapport and gain their trust, but really empower them into self-sufficiency. And so then how did that translate into the actual Veterans Legal Institute coming to be? Okay, that's an interesting question. It's a little bit of a long story. I'll try to give you the short version. When I got out of law school, I did practice privately for several years. And I wanted to do public service, but frankly, I couldn't afford it because I live in Orange County and Southern California has got a really high cost when it comes to their standard of living. So my husband and I worked really hard. And when he built his business, he told me that I could stay at home with the kids. I could volunteer at church. I could do whatever I wanted. And I thought, God, I really want to do public interest work. So I actually filled out an application with the Equal Justice Works AmeriCorps uh, program, which is Teach for America, but for lawyers. And I was granted the fellowship and it, doing that was a 70%-ish pay cut. And I was so excited because it landed me my first position at a local legal aid. And I worked there for a few years and I loved doing that work, but I noticed that there was this void in services that were specific to our military members. There was this void because typically when we have a veteran that's on the streets, it's usually for a different reason than his or her civilian counterpart. And I really wanted to address those issues with compassion and strength because it's a shame, I think, to see any American hero um, standing on the off-ramp of a freeway with a sign. And so I thought it would be really interesting and unique to have military-specific legal aid that charged veterans nothing, that was completely pro bono in our county. And frankly, there aren't many wholly military-specific legal aids nationwide. A lot of legal aids have veteran units, 
But I really wanted the entire organization to engulf this idea and this mission of just serving veterans, active service members, and reservists and their families. And the idea was born that way. We were also adamant about not creating hard red tape cutoffs for eligibility. And a lot of other organizations do that, not taking in mind that disabled veterans get service-connected compensation, which oftentimes renders them too rich to qualify for legal aid, but too poor to access justice. And so I really wanted to be part of an organization that didn't penalize disabled veterans for their disability. And interestingly enough, recently we've helped sponsor a bill to address that specific issue and it's moving forward. So hopefully by January 2022, disabled veterans won't be penalized when it comes to eligibility for legal aid based on their income. Oh, that's awesome. Definitely so important. I know as a disabled veteran, it's like you do come up against these issues, you know, of income on that side of things. And it's, oh, no, you get this. So we can't help you with, you know, X, Y, or Z. So great to hear that some real progress is being made there. Yes. And definitely it's because of attorneys and entrepreneurs like you that served and that understand the system and that always pay it forward that we've really been able to build a tribe to fight for this cause and fight for veterans that really do need a hand up. So from the beginning of VLI, how has your work helping veterans evolved over that? When we started, it was a very humble institution. And in the last seven, almost eight years, we've grown to almost 20 employees. All of our staff is military connected in some way. We have disabled veterans. We have military spouses. We've got family members of veterans. So it's pretty fantastic, the team that we've been able to build. We've definitely built a niche when it comes to offering services when it comes to veteran benefits like the complex appeals, discharge upgrades, and we take a hardcore stance when it comes to assisting survivors of military sexual trauma. And we also have a pretty strong family law caseload. Getting free family law services nationwide, whether veteran or civilian, is very difficult because of the a lot of these cases can go 18 years, sometimes even more. And so we've really been able to create and carve out a very unique program where veterans can get assistance either in proper or on limited matters that really relieves them of the burden of the difficulty of family law. So it's definitely evolved in that way. We've built our pro bono team significantly, and it's not just our staff, but we do reach out to private law firms and we ask them to take cases pro bono. And we've really built that pipeline so that a lot of our clients are getting partners at large and small law firms helping them out in their area of expertise. So what are the what are some of the different areas in which you help vet? I would say that the main areas are in complex veteran benefit appeals. So when a veteran has an illness or injury related to his or her service, whether it's an invisible illness or injury like a traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress, or it's a visible injury like they've lost a limb or, or even something like they have ringing in their ears or they can no longer hear, those types of cases that have to be brought forth to prove the nexus between their illness and injury and their military service can oftentimes be difficult for a veteran, especially a veteran that's already struggling with mental health issues or a variety of other issues. So we like to take that burden and remove it from the veteran and fight their case for them and prove it to the VA so that they can be compensated for their injury as well as access the health care that they need and deserve to rectify that injury. And I also mentioned that we take on discharge upgrades So 
typically a lot of people always think, oh, you go to the military, you get out, you're either honorably discharged or dishonorably discharged. And that's not always true. It could be, there are several types of characterizations of service. So it could be honorable, general under honorable, other than honorable, bad conduct discharge, dishonorable or dismissal. And a lot of times veterans separate from the military with a less than honorable discharge that they deserve because not everybody is suited for the military. But sometimes what happens um, is that certain veterans, because of something that happened to them, have mental health issues that they really needed support with, and instead they were just removed from the military. Or some members of the military, for example, may have had a, been assaulted in the military or had some sort of trauma of that nature, and as a result, their performance may have declined, and then they were booted out of the military. So we like to take cases for those heroes that deserved an honorable discharge and petition for them to get upgraded to honorable to help restore their dignity, as well as any in compensation they're entitled to or access to health care, other benefits to include education, VA loans, and other things. And again, as I mentioned, family law is a really big one. We do estate planning for older adult veterans and terminally ill veterans. We work with a nonprofit organization to prevent veterans and their families from being evicted. So if a veteran, for example, loses his or her job and they're unable to pay their rent, typically a private landlord has no duty owed to that veteran and their family to keep them housed. They're in the business of making money. They don't really owe anybody um, anything. And so what we do is we team up with a nonprofit that has funding to support veterans and we try to settle out the case and negotiate a deal. And that nonprofit can typically provide up to six months worth of rent for the veteran and his or her family. And we settle the case out so that the veteran gets to stay in his or her home. And as a result, their children don't have to live in their car or change school districts. And typically the mom and the, the parents will stay together as a result of that. It's less stress for them. And I always say it's much easier to help someone to prevent their homelessness than to assist them once they become chronically homeless. And apart from that, we do all kinds of other civil matters, but I would say that those are the majority types of law that we practice here at Veterans Legal Institute. Oh, it's such tremendous and important work. And like you raised with discharge upgrades, I think it's something like most Americans have absolutely no idea about, especially some of the really insidious things like you talked about. I know in my work doing discharge upgrades, I had victims of military sexual trauma, people with severe PTSD from basically daily combat for anywhere from six to 18 months that then would come back and maybe smoke weed once or maybe get a DUI because they just started drinking because they couldn't cope with the assault or the PTSD or what have you. And then the military is just get the hell out of here. And they just, you're just human garbage to them at that point. And you just get cast aside. And it's really a shame in, in what happens to people, especially I, I think with the people that are traumatized through sexual assault and the like, it's, and especially men that really can't, there's such a huge stigma around talking about that, um, that in the whole military ethos is just suck it up, be tougher, don't show any vulnerability, don't show emotion, that it becomes so much harder for people to seek help. And then it's just a downward spiral because then, oh, you leave the military and you have anything less than an honorable discharge. Even if you're actually not required to show your DD-214 that says your discharge character characterization to an employer, 
pretty much everyone does. And, and then you just get into this cycle of, oh, you can't find a job anywhere. And then you run out of money and then you end up on the street or something like that. And it's just this horrible and vicious cycle that we perpetrate on these veterans. And that's why I think it is such rewarding and such important work to be helping people that are in those situations. Absolutely. So I'd love to know, you've really built an incredible organization over the past uh, seven to eight years. So what are you most excited about for the future of the- What I'm most excited to really be an important part of the total eradication of homelessness and veteran suicide. I think that Veterans Legal Institute, albeit we might play a small role in that, we're playing a role in one life saved, one family kept together, one person who decides to live another day for us is just a huge win. And it really keeps my team and I going because as you can imagine, some of the cases that come our way can be like very emotionally heavy and it's easy to get emotionally exhausted doing this type of work. Clearly legal aid attorneys aren't in it for the money. We make significantly less than our private attorney counterparts. We do it for the points in heaven. We do it to pay it forward. We do it because it feels good and we're passionate about service. And I'm just excited to keep living that in one person at a time, one family at a time. There's no boring days. And while you can't win them all, and some days are hard, it's just, incredibly validating and purposeful to live a life where you get paid to help out your your fellow country people. Oh, yeah, it is so rewarding. And it is really mentally and, and emotionally exhausting. But there's, it is, I've had some really heavy cases that you just want to break down and cry in in the office and everything just because of what people have gone through and especially when you're doing a client intake or anytime you're interfacing with your clients and you can you can hear the trauma and the pain in their voices it's incredibly impactful and i know that those are some of the most grateful clients that I've ever worked with in in anything that I've done because it is so transformative just being able to tell someone that hey you no longer have a bad conduct discharge or you no longer have an other than honorable discharge. You now have an honorable discharge. And that's one of the most life-changing things that most people never experience in or out of the military because there's, you know, so few people get that get those, but it really does flip a switch that frees you up to pursue the things that you really want to do with your life. Absolutely. And you know what? It's sometimes it's not just getting the win for the client. I think many times just having the veteran know that there's someone standing side by side with them, someone advocating on their behalf is so meaningful that it really can pull a person out of a dark place and give them hope. And I think ultimately it's that hope that keeps us all going another day. So it's pretty fantastic. The clients, this population, the military population, the veteran population is an incredible population to work with, to serve with. And I count it as one of the greatest blessings of my life. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I've had cases like I had a pretty decent record, but I had cases that even I thought was like, oh, this is like such a huge injustice. This has got to be an open and shut case. Like when the board sees this, they will have to grant this upgrade. And, and sometimes I had cases that go on for years and they would get denied. And, you know, it would be incredibly heartbreaking, but I would still find people that it was the first time that they had really been seen, that someone had really, like you said, stood by them and been in their corner. And 
even just that does make such a huge difference to allow people to continue on in their lives and not delve further into despair. And even a loss, just really connecting with that client can really be life-changing for them. Absolutely. Agreed. So tell me, how can attorneys or law students volunteer with VLI? There's so many ways that people can really pay it forward and serve this population. And specifically at Veterans Legal Institute, about once a month, we put out what's called a case list. And we list anonymously cases we have available that we want to farm out to private attorneys that are looking to take cases on pro bono. So I would love it if people would reach out to me. You can do it through vetslegal. And we can get them on our case list so that they can receive that email. And there are other ways that attorneys can give back. They can assist with by joining our board, by helping give MCLE presentations to educate other attorneys about how to practice important areas of law that veterans need assistance and they can co-author articles with BLI. And same with law students. We're always taking volunteers and we have many volunteers. We actually utilize over 200 volunteers a year and we log in over 10,000 volunteer hours per year. And it's really been the backbone of this organization. And it's we've got, for example, someone who jokingly and lovingly refers to himself as our chief paper shredder. Someone who just, he's almost 90 years old, but he comes in and he'll shred our paper for us. And that's what he wants to do. But even assistance with storytelling, video, social media, marketing, fundraising, graphic design, we're always in need of people to help us because our ship is growing and it's, we don't have expertise as attorneys in all areas. So we welcome people with different talents and skill sets who want to use those talents and skill sets to help out our veterans. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know, how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? I definitely have no favorite failures. You know what? I am not one of those people that is enlightened enough to look back at a failure and be like, that was awesome in hindsight. But I will, <laughs> I will tell you this. I have definitely learned from experience and living life. And along with living life and experience comes plenty of failure. My life has been no, have no shortage of that. I will say that in terms of case practice. I did have a case once for a gentleman and it just, it sticks out in my mind because this veteran was just so determined. I really, he inspired me so much. He was homeless for seven years and this all came out of, you know, he had a bad divorce and he loved his wife and he started doing drugs and then he got arrested because he broke into their home that they had together. And eventually he became homeless and he was convicted of that burglary. And anyways, he had seven years later, he'd gotten involved in some programs, decided he wanted to better his life. He wanted to really grow and evolve. And he got his nursing license, which is, is no small feat. But he couldn't get the actual license because he had this burglary on his record and a couple other things related to it. So I submitted the dismissal paperwork, which is commonly known as expungement. No big deal. And there were three of them. And you have to file each one separately. So I filed all three of them same day, the same time. And two were rubber stamped through the mail. They were dismissed. But the third one just disappeared. It fell off the court record. I checked in. No one knew where it went. Somehow there was a clerical error where they just, they lost it. And so I refiled it, but then they found the original expungement, but it went to a different judge. And this judge declined it. 
he declined. He didn't want to because it was a discretionary expungement. I went in and I, I spoke to the judge and I said, here's the story of this veteran. And it was his own house. And it's been seven years and, and he's getting his nursing license. And and the judge was just like, this particular DA is not in favor and neither am I. And I was just blown away. And I felt that I had failed the client because I honestly, I thought it was such an open and shut issue that it would be rubber stamp. But while I failed in that moment, I'll tell you what I did get out of that. A fierce determination. I'm not going to call it a vengeful determination, <laughs> but I was determined to see this veteran become a nurse because nobody deserved it more. And so my last words to that judge were, that's fine. I'll just refile it. <laughs> so I did. It took more time. It took more resources. And unfortunately, the veteran had to suffer and wait. But if everything finally did come through. But I like to think that what I learned from that is you just have to fight forward. It makes no sense just stopping or complaining or whining or feeling bad for yourself. I do a lot myself, uh, sometimes a moment or two to do those things, but I just got to keep my eyes on the prize because we're dealing here with human capital. It's not money or houses or it's human beings and they deserve the right to live and flourish, especially when they're trying um, so hard to get back up on their feet. I just try to remain inspired and keep that mindset top of mind so that we can keep moving forward. Mm. Beautiful story. So how have you found mentors and advisors throughout your career? You know, I've been blessed to be surrounded by a lot of amazing people. And I highly advise everybody at any age or any stage of their life to have a mentor because, as I mentioned earlier, everybody has different gift, everybody has different skill sets, everybody has different talents, and there's always something to learn. So I like to be part of groups of people with similar interests or similar values. So for example, I sit on the board of the Orange County Bar Association, the Orange County Women Lawyers Association. I'm relatively active at my church, and within these groups, I feel that I found many mentors and colleagues and friends and, you know, chosen family members that have really helped me grow. People are fearless in their constructive criticism that want to see me succeed and achieve and that are willing to share their tips and tricks when it comes to life and, and how to best live it. That's awesome. So what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've ever made? And feel free to interpret the word investments as broadly as you like. Wow. When I think about my greatest riches in life, I think about my family. And so I would say that sometimes, admittedly, my ego wants me to work harder or maybe make more money or and those things take time. But I've always allotted a significant amount of time to my family. And I think that investment of my time and my love and my attention and my patience has reaped such a beautiful outcome for me. I have great husband, great children, and I think that investment has really just made my life more beautiful. I totally agree. It's the best, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I'm a couple years ahead of you, but we both have boys and as there is no funner or greater joy in life and if I may I will tell you a story of yesterday I won't tell you which of my sons because I don't want to embarrass him but we had to go to the doctor 
and my this particular son, he's a, he's in the early teens, and he this kid was he was nervous because he had to have a little procedure and it was a painful procedure, but he didn't want the doctor to feel bad, so he tells the doctor, "I'm not scared of needles," and the doctor's really as he's putting in the needle, and this boy lets out some gas. And, <laughs> and I just I know I don't think anyone on the podcast saw where this was going. And I just, I look at him and I look at the doctor and I start laughing because it's like, of course my kid would do that because he is his uh, mother's son after all. And so I start laughing. The doctor starts laughing. My son starts laughing. And I look at my son and I'm like, son, you got to learn. If you ever want to find a partner in life, you got to learn to hold that in. And the doctor who is a male and who also has two sons, by the way, he thought it was funny and his sons are teenagers too. But I was just so grateful because his assistant was this younger woman. And I'm like, man, I don't want her to be like, I don't ever want to have children or boys because of that. <laughs> I like think of those kids and I just like, they keep me laughing all day. Like the stuff that they do, it's just, it's a beautiful innocence that they have. And it's a really beautiful outlook on life. Oh, totally. So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? That is an incredible question. You're going to make me go deep now. Oh, yeah. I would say that I am, by nature, one of the most prominent characteristics of my personality is that I'm an empath. And so what that means is that I really feel for other people. And I'm a people pleaser. I like to serve people. And that gives me joy. So I enjoyed doing that. But along the way growing up, what happens when you are very empathetic is sometimes you might lose sight of yours where you're so absorbed in how other people are feeling. You can ignore your own feelings or your own health or um, your own situation. So now that I'm having a big birthday this year, let's just say it ends in a zero. It doesn't start with <laughs> a two or a three. But anyhow, I'm having a big birthday. So really, I was um, reflecting at the beginning of the year. I'm like, how am I going to go into this new decade of life? Like, how am I going to improve? And I really was thinking, I'm like, well, you know, I have this. I'm so blessed with this family, with this career. And then I was like, but man, I need to take care of my health and not my physical health, my mental health, my nutrition. And so I just really decided this year that I need to invest in myself and take care of myself because at the end of the day, it's hard to find someone to take care of you. And it's much better being the caretaker than the one being cared for. So I've really started paying more attention to the food that I put in my body. I am more active now. And I'm focusing on my mental health so that I can really be present in the moment and a good mother, a good boss, a good human being. Mm, I love that. It's great to hear. So what advice would you give to a smart, driven high school or college graduate about to enter the real world? And is there any advice you think they should ignore? I definitely think that we need to be careful. If you ask 10 different people a question, you can get 10 different answers. And oftentimes, if you ask somebody, hey, what do you think about this? If they give you an answer, you might immediately absorb that answer and create an agreement within yourself that whatever they said is golden, even if that answer might not be in your best interest. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't be, or it would be. What I am saying is I would definitely encourage those that are looking to start a greater journey in life to ask more than one person and to talk to people that 
you might not necessarily totally identify with. Get different perspectives. Look at people that have different levels of experience. Ask them to mentor you. Shadow them for a day. Don't be scared to ask questions. And don't necessarily go with the first answer that you get or the easy answer. Really do your research because decisions you make today definitely will affect your tomorrow. So it's definitely worth your investment of time and learning. And along the way, it will be interesting and you might pick up a, a lifelong friend or two. Oh, definitely. So what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? I would say my favorite book of all time is an old one, but it will just, it's just, it's always relevant. And it's The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. It's an inspirational, poetry-esque, philosophical book. It's an easy read, maybe three hours. And what he talks about in the book is he takes complex life issues like marriage, friendship, love, children, things of that nature. And in two or three pages, he just gives his wisdom about it. And it's a beautiful, really a beautiful story that he tells. And I actually have it by my night side and I have for over a couple decades. And I'll always refer to it because it's just very inspiring. I also, not too long ago, read a book called The Four Agreements, which is based on ancient Toltec wisdom. And I found it to be really interesting, inspiring. The premises being we should always be immaculate in our word. Uh, we shouldn't speculate or gossip about other people. We should not take things personally when a person acts harshly towards us because it might not be about us. And finally, we should do our best even if that's not the best. We just should, everything we put our name on should be our best. And that's my synopsis of Toltec wisdom right there. But I definitely thought that I took a lot of that book to heart. Oh, that's a classic. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Wow. I, it would probably say be kind. And why would be, I think sometimes people just need a reminder. It's so easy to get caught up in life and tragedy and busyness and stress and frustration. And as a result of that, sometimes we might take all of that out on the people we love the most. And so I think sometimes just to see a reminder like that just says something as simple as be kind, I think is good for to get people to, you know, get back to their center. Love that. So beyond your billboard, are there any quotes that you think of often or that you live your life? I, as, as I've mentioned, I volunteer a lot with my church and, and I do like to, from time to time, open the big book. And I find particularly in the New Testament and in Psalms, that there are some biblical quotes that are really beautiful. I really just like to live my life in the most authentic and kind way possible. And I, what I'm learning, with or without any quotes, though, is really to <clears throat> be satisfied with doing the best that I can. So while I'm definitely a very imperfect work in progress, I do like to think that um, at my core and my base and whatever I'm doing, that I am coming at it with kindness and empathy towards uh, the people around me. Love that. So who have been some of your heroes throughout your life and how did they help or inspire you? Well, there's honestly, there's no shortage of inspiring people out there. I Really, it starts at home, I think. And I think this is something that's really important for people to hear because it's not just about who's my hero, but it's about who are you being a hero to. And that starts at home. So I was really blessed to have my mom and my dad really model to me 
what it is to be someone who holds values in high esteem. So they modeled a very much imperfect love to me, which was really perfect for me at the time. And they continue to do. So while it might be cliche, our first, as soon as we open our eyes, those are the people that have who we see is who's going to have the biggest, I think, most profound influence on our lives, because it starts again, the minute you start breathing. I do. I am a huge fan of Pope Francis. I think he's a Pope for all people, whether they're Catholic or not. And I really believe he embodies the real values of who Jesus Christ is and what love, peace, and forgiveness in an incredibly non-judgmental way, which I believe is the right way. And I admire that position because I think it's not an easy position. And, and to be in the public eye, I think no small feat. You're constantly criticized and you're constantly under a microscope. I really admire the people that responded to the pandemic, the nurses and the doctors that still showed up to work, the caretakers, the fact that they were willing to put their health at risk to take care of other people. And a lot of them were just working hours around the clock. I just, I admire their love and their contribution to humanity. So you can just look around and there's always people out there that offer something that can be inspiring or is worth admiring. People who are just going to work day to day and and building their families and taking care of their families. And it's just, it's incredible how much they contribute to society, just thinking they're doing what they have to do, but really they're going above and beyond by just making this world a better place. So I do like to look at people and find what I admire the most about them. It's nice. It's a nice uh, viewpoint to have. And I think it definitely contributes to my happiness. Oh, that sounds like a, a beautiful practice that I think a lot of people could get a lot more out of their lives if they adopted that. Well, you definitely have to be intentional about it. So first you make the decision you want to do it. And it's and I did. And I I also made that same decision many years ago that I wanted to be a non-judgmental person. And that is very difficult. And it's I have to remind myself all the time when I look at people and a thought comes to my mind and I'm like, no, like it's not right to judge or speculate. But as a result of that, I like people more and I'm just happier because it takes energy to dislike people. And it Mm. takes energy to be unhappy. So I definitely choose happiness. And it doesn't mean things are perfect or that I figured it out. It just means that I make a choice and I I work towards that choice. I love that. So in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? just a mean question so every year for the last 20 years (laughs) my my new year's resolution i kid you not i i will every year i every we all start like hardcore on january 1st i always type out my resolutions i typically have anywhere between one and six and i type them out and i tape it to my wall in my office behind my desk and the the first one every year forever has always been learn how to say no and i just am not good at saying no. And I think that it's because of the my personality type and I am a people pleaser. So it's hard for me, but I have definitely improved in the last few years because I got so busy that I just really was neglecting myself. I was sleeping significantly less. I was just running myself down. So I have gotten slightly better at saying no. And I typically say no to people that ask for things that I think aren't critical for them or for me. So for example, in the last two months, I got asked to sit on three different boards, which is very like humbling. And and it was, I was so 
flattered, but I just really, to sit on a board is a responsibility. And I like to, if my name is on it, I want to give my best. And I know I just don't have the time, the energy or the resources right now at this point of time in my life for that. And so each Mm -hmm. time I had to say no, and every single person tried to push me a little bit and say, it's okay. We only meet once a month or And I really stuck by my guns because I really just don't have a lot of extra time. And I want to be mindful of using my extra time to to where it matters the most, starting with my family and then my work and and the veterans that we serve. So tell me then, what are your go-to self-care strategies, tactics, or techniques? I go to the gym five days a week, or I work out at home, but no less than five days a week. It's excellent for my mental health, my physical health. I started seeing a nutritionist in January. And I always thought people always say, oh, like abs are built in the kitchen and your diet is 90%. I never believed that because I used to be young and have this amazing metabolism. And now I'm less young. My metabolism decided to die. And so it's harder to stay fit and feel good. So I'm like, you know what, I'll give this nutritionist a try. And I was so skeptical but this person has really changed my life. I feel so much better and I can't sing her praises enough, but she really, in a matter of three months, she just, I sleep better. I feel better. I'm in, I don't have the same aches and pains that I had. I feel like I'm more alert. I focus better and I am working out. I think the nutrition was a huge aspect of it. And I've always been a good eater, but it's, she breaks it down of when to eat and what to eat what time to eat it. So she really made it easy for someone like me who wanted the cheat sheet and the quickest how to, to be successful. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So Antoinette, this has been a great conversation. It's been really fun talking to you, but that does bring me to my last question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Wow. I feel like I get so much grace every day. I would say, I won't list you one particular thing, but I think that as a human being, just like everyone else out there listening, I hope, (laughs) I really think the kindest thing someone can do for me is show me grace. So forgiveness and grace, I'm not perfect. And in those times where I've made a mistake or I'm not at my best, it's sometimes just someone not taking it personally and actually leaning into me and and forgiving me or, or understanding my situation is such an incredible form of kindness and empathy. And it really can take a bad situation and turn it around when you feel that somebody still sees you in the same light, even though you're not at your best. Mm. Oh, that's so true. Very- Antoinette, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you. The pleasure was mine, Pacifico, anytime. Absolutely. Today's episode was brought to you by Prosperitas, specializing in making stunning videos to help you win more customers and look your best online. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn how they create unforgettable videos for unforgettable companies. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast, or visit our website at thelue.podcast.com. 
And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the LUE podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yes.